Hi everybody, this is Tracy Malone from NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. My question to you is, do you think that maybe your partner might have a sexual addiction problem? Might be a sex addict? How about you? Do you think that you might be a sex addict and you're looking for answers? People that are sex addicts actually do get help and can change their patterns if they want to. That's the key part here. Today I have a guest and I'm going to read a little bit of her bio because um, I don't want to mess anything up. Um, today I'm interviewing Amy Kemp. She is a um, therapist and counselor in Pennsylvania and um, she has been working with um, sexual addicts for a long time and she can help us understand what it is that we can do about this. How do we recognize it? So without any further ado, let's welcome Amy. Hi Tracy, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. So today we're going to talk to you about sexual addiction. And you know, let's start off with the basics. What is sexual addiction? So sex addiction is a, a way in which somebody um, copes. It's kind of something that is created, that they are using sex, sexual thoughts or behaviors over time um, in a way that then has an impact, a negative impact on them. Um, so it takes a normal amount of time. It's not a one-time you know, thing or you know, occasionally doing something. It's over an extended period of time where somebody is engaging in sexual thoughts or behaviors that has a negative impact and they continue to do that despite consequences to their family, to themselves, to work, to a lot of different um, areas of their life. So it's a big scope of, of it's not just one thing, it's a big, big problem. Big picture. So, so like sex addiction, let's just say they want sex four times a day, they want sex four times a week. What, what is the criteria that like people want to know? Where's the line between they like it and oh my god, this is a problem? Yeah, so it's not, it, it's hard to say just by one number. So, you know, a lot of people can have different types of sexual behaviors, but if it doesn't have it doesn't get increased. It doesn't, it's something that's kind of in static. If there is an escalation that they need more and more and more to feel better. If it starts interfering with family time. So instead of being present, they're off with an affair partner or they're working upstairs, but they're really looking at porn. And those kinds of things where there's missing gaps in time, there's a defensiveness around the behavior. Um, there's consequences for why they're acting in the way they are. Um, and yet, if they still continue, even though those consequences exist, so that's really something to, you know, if somebody shows up to therapy as a saying, I'm not sure if I'm a sex addict, it's like, well, have you tried stopping before? Have you just tried doing it? And if they answer, well, yeah, sometimes I try to try to not do it this way or that way. Okay, then there might be something more to it. But if, if it's a problem in their marriage or a problem in their relationship, and they're not able to stop, that's kind of a red flag. Okay, well that's really helpful. Um, you know, because people just are so like, under, you know, they, they don't understand the, the whole thing of it. And, and you're talking about the, the behaviors that they can look for. Are there other behaviors that they can look for besides say porn all of a sudden on your credit card or um, 
thinking about them having an extra affair or them wanting you as the partner constantly. Are there other like little clues that people should look for? Yeah, I think one of the biggest clues I see consistently um, is this missing time. This, I mean, it's truly, sex addiction is truly an intimacy disorder. There is this aversion to actual intimacy. It might appear to be intimacy, and this is where some of it overlaps with narcissism. There might be this appearance of intimacy, a close family, the great picture at the beach, those kinds of things, that dad's always gone. He's never actually there. He's just there for the picture. So there are these gaps in time that, you know, dad's always golfing every weekend. Well, if you ask dad to stay home for a weekend and do something, then is he defensive about that? Is he, you know, trying to hide it or say he can't? There's never a time that he can. Um, or, you know, if you will go to walk the dog instead of he walks the dog, does he go out and try to walk the dog again? Those kinds of things that where there's these gaps in time and they're really protective of this time. Um, you know, and then there's all the other things, like you said, money, there might be a separate account, there might be um, missing money, there might be, um, you know, like working, a lot of the time I hear work as an excuse, um, but they really, it takes, sex addiction takes a lot of time, and that is one of the criteria we look for, so if it's taking up time away, and they're going to come up with reasons why that's okay, it's still a red flag of there's a problem here in the relationship and that sex may be present. Something else to consider too is what kind of sex are you actually having in your relationship? Like how does it feel to be having sex with your partner? Um, does it feel loving and connected or you know, does it feel good and, and a time that two of you are intimately connecting? Or does it feel like there's something else still in the room? Or are you not having sex at all and are totally avoidant of it because you're so despondent from that? So those are ways that also, I think it's a great question. I love asking partners this, like what's sex like in your marriage? And what's, and, and a lot of the time it's not great. But that's something else to consider. Wow, so, so is masturbation another thing that, that like could be a, a sign of this? Oh, for sure. Excessive masturbation. Yeah, for sure. So that's another way, again, there's, it's, it takes time, so occasional masturbation, if it's okay, and this is where I think, you know, one of your former guests brought up the issue of consent in, in pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. If you're okay with your partner masturbating, that's one thing, but if they're doing it secretly, they're doing it, and you're not connecting, mm -hmm. yeah. there's, there's a lot more to it if you're defensive around it, but yeah, masturbation, pornography, escorts, um, I mean, really, it runs the gamut, massage parlors, different kinds of ways in which people are acting out, phone sex, emotional affairs that turn into sexual affairs. Those are all that, that this is so, so what's the impact on the family? Like, like, how does it affect the family if, is it always the male or, or is there sometimes a female? No, I apologize. Yeah, I use the word around, but I don't know. <laughs> it definitely has, um, there definitely can be women sex addicts or sex and love addicts. Um, and I apologize that I just use the word he so much for describing it. I want to make sure that's clear. So thanks. Um, but no, it, it can be any gender. It could be, you know, any presentation. Um, people, it's an intimacy disorder. So anybody that really has some sort of way of dealing with stress from intimacy um, can have this develop. And 
what I mean is like that, that women also though don't come in saying, hey, I'm a sex addict. A lot of the time they talk about the lack of connection and that they don't feel good about themselves and those things rather than, hey, my partner is telling me to come here because um, I'm online looking at porn way too much. So that, that's, that's why I say he, a lot of the time they don't come in presenting that way. No worries. The devastation that affects family is, I mean, it's just, it's horrendous. You know, I think we see this, it, this is where it mirrors a lot of narcissistic family systems in that there's really this secret. There's a secret problem in the family mm. and that then there's this piece where the secret has to be held outside of the family, but it doesn't get resolved. That conflict doesn't ever get resolved. And the gaslighting that occurs of conflict between the two parents in this, mm. the kids just pick up on there's conflict that never gets resolved. They internalize that. They think there's something wrong with them. And then the cycles continue and perpetuate. So the, the impact it has systemically and generationally is huge. In addition to the challenges that, I mean, any individual of just the abuse of not knowing who your partner actually is, like, who are you actually sleeping with at night? That's terrifying. Yeah. Or who they sleep with earlier. That would be scarier. <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying not knowing and not being, not being aware and not knowing that there's even necessarily that's what the problem is. Right. It's a secret. You know, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe, um, you know, he is working this hard. Maybe this is just what life looks like. Right. And, and especially when then you get abused and it gets defensive. It's like, you don't want to hurt your partner. You don't want them to be hurt. Um, so by asking a question of like, why are, why are you going golfing so much? On in, a, in a negative way, you back off of that. Mm -hmm. right. so, and then you internalize that. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do with partners too on untangling that system that they've internalized and keeping and holding that abuse. Yeah. So, so you work with both the sex abuser and the, the victim or you would, you know, the partner of, of the, the sex addict. Um, what does treatment look like for either side? Because, you know, it's, I, I, I'm curious and I think a lot of people will want to know, can they be cured? Can we fix this? It's well, a lot depends. <laughs> a lot depends on the person. Do they want to be cured is kind of the first question on that. Um, but it is something that is definitely treatable. I have seen amazing transformations, you know, um, that people that you're like, well, We'll try it and we'll see what happens. You know, I don't, I don't have, you know, yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't necessarily do that, but treatment, I guess for, for partners is first, you know, that untangling and trying to help them not internalize messaging of, you know, it's not that you're not pretty enough. It's not that you're not good enough. This is something that happened well before you. Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's an intimacy disorder. So it starts when attachment stuff, starts happening in early childhood. Mm -hmm. This happens well before you. It doesn't mean you're not dealing with the consequences, but it's something that, that has nothing to do with you. So trying to help them untangling that it's not their fault. There's nothing that they could have done to stop, prevent, et cetera, this. Mm -hmm. And then helping partners learn that they can have a voice. Again, that, that's where this mirrors that narcissism piece, that emotional and neglectful abuse of my partner's not showing up, and when I try to address it, I get abused. Mm -hmm. 
that's really painful. Yeah. And teaching them that they can't have this voice to be able to assert themselves and have boundaries and say, I expect this from my partner. Um, this is how, this is the relationship I want. Uh -huh. The process also includes if you're determining that you want to stay with the addict, you know, sometimes people don't want to, and that's completely fine and reasonable. But if they don't want, if they do want to stay and try to work through this, we do something um, called disclosure for when you're a trained therapist who so sex addiction, that it's a process in which the addict goes through and tells the partner all of their sexual acting out history. Yeah. That would be hard. <laughs> it is hard, but it also helps that process of understanding. This happened well, this, this pat, it's a pattern. Mm -hmm. Like this pattern was happening and repeating itself long before you were involved. So it helps with understanding that and also then helps with that question of who is this person? How could all of these things happen? Oh. I know. Then that would be the hardest thing, I think, is, is, is listening to, yeah, they've been with all these people, and then deciding, oh, that's okay, you know, I'll fix it, and we'll work on this together. To me, it would be like, that would be the defining moment of, get the heck away from me, yuck, right? But I know that, that, that it's a different situation for everybody, and um, they've got to pick their, their choices there, but... Um, how does this kind of cross over into the narcissistic abuse? Is there a tie? I mean, obviously they, they aren't necessarily a narcissist because they're a sex addict, but um, I would see that the control of a narcissist would play very heavily into this. It is, it does. So, you know, there's, there's research too that came out um, in 2014 with Casper Short and Millam um, that did a study on narcissism and pornography use. So they didn't special they didn't specify that it was pornography addiction, but there was a high high relationship between scoring high on narcissistic scales, and if you ever looked at pornography, you scored higher on narcissism scales, and that just increased by the amount. So if you're looking at porn every day, there's higher levels of narcissism in these two scales. So it's kind of comparing how narcissism and how much you view porn. And that just makes so much sense because of the control that's necessary. I mean, porn is all about the viewer. It's not about the people on, that are doing the act. It's not about intimacy. It's all about the control and the fantasy of the person viewing it and how is it making them aroused. So, it, I mean, to me, it makes tons of sense that narcissists wanting that, that it's all about me. I can control things. I can control people to do what I want. Just type in a couple of things and look here, I can be pleased. Yeah. And exactly. it's all gratification. So that is high because it doesn't take another to do that. The other, the other thing too with narcissism is that, you know, sometimes with chemical addictions, there are more outward consequences. Sex is such a private thing that people, I mean, generally don't talk about at all let alone publicly. So with drugs or alcohol, you know, people get sloppy. People, you know, have medical or health problems from it. With sex, it's all internal. Um, and so it's easy to hide that way from the public. You know, so it's not something that will show up on a company drug test, but sure, I'll be getting high off of sex and porn every night. Right. And so 
it's can be more covert and more secretive, which falls right into that narcissistic playbook of here, here's this outward expression of me, this great person, yet behind closed doors, I am doing all of these things to just be. And that goes back to the secrets that we started with at the beginning, right? Um, there's so many secrets that we unfold in the narcissistic, usually ending of the relationship um, is where we go, oh my goodness, look at all these lies, right? So this would just be another one on the pile if, if you happen to draw the card and marry a sex addict or be with someone that is like this, um, it's just another hurdle to kind of, you know, discover the truth. And that's very painful for victims. Uh, and it's, it's really through my work, you know, I started with sex addiction, you know, having ideas of narcissism and, and, and my education around it, but it's really through my work in helping addicts and partners recover that I was able to really put all this together and study it and really understand the full impact that this is really huge. This is huge. And, how, and how common it is in sex addiction. Yeah. It, are there things that you would want um, people to know on either side, so the addict or the, the partner. What what's your like closing? Like this is a really important thing to know. Help us. Sure. So I think I'll start with start with the addict. We'll go with the addict first okay. and talk about how I think you know. I mean, it's so shame based. It start it starts early and. I want to really let people know that, and they grow up in narcissistic families too. So they, there's people that might even be listening to your podcast that are struggling with their sexual behaviors and they grew up in a narcissistic family. So, you know, it's, it's not always just victim, victim, victim. It, they can be both victim and perpetrator. And it's okay. There's help out there. It doesn't have to be. And if there's any part of this that resonates with you, that, hey, this might be me. I might be open to the fact that you know, I have some challenges that I want to really face and look at. There's really, there's resources out there and there's people that are willing to do it, you know, with compassion and can help you rather than, you know, punish you or, you know, penalize you, but really want to see you get better because it's in the healing that helps you stop hurting yourself and other people. Right. Right. That's, that's so important. You know, for me, that's sort of my passion and my mission is to help that. And yet, you know, I know people are out there probably listening to this too that are questioning, huh, I wonder if I am. And if you wonder, ask. And there's people that can help you without shaming you too. And, and it's not a normal therapist. I want to be really clear to people who might be listening to this, um, you know, just thinking that this might be something in your life. It is not just go to your health insurance website and pick out a therapist because they really have to be specialized like yourself. Yeah, they have to understand. And even sometimes, you know, I, I work with a ton of sex therapists in addition. Sex addiction is different than a sex therapist. Um, so I want to be clear on that. But I, and I work with some really wonderful sex therapists that understand both. Um, not understanding that sex is, can be very shameful. And this is something that the person's doing because of shaming behavior, because of the trauma repetition, not because of you know, it's just something kinky and I kind of like doing it occasionally. Um, it's really it coming from a place of I'm trying to avoid hurt and pain by replicating that hurt and pain and knowing I can master it. So there's something, it, you know, that's different than, you know, going to somebody and saying, well, I like to, you know, have some kind of kinky behavior sometimes. Like kink is okay. 
And if it's causing you pain, then that's a problem. And so working with someone that really understands the nuances and ways that that can present and also gently hold you accountable to how that hurts yourself and others is a really important thing. Not to shame you, but the accountability piece. Right. Helps that's where the growth happens. Exactly. And, and that's important because a regular therapist won't get these little tiny nuances that are going to actually help the sex addict. Uh, I would imagine that there may be more shame, there may be more misunderstanding because the, the overall bubble of, of what they need is not living in that therapist. So really wanna recommend to people that they find the right type of person because that's how we heal is it's not just randomly, hey, let me pull that one out of the hat and, and actually think you're gonna get better. Um, if that's what you desire. So um, what about partners? How, what's the, the ending thing for them is, you know, what would their life look like and, and um, what advice do you have? Yeah, so partners, they, they have a different route, you know, and it's not an easy one, whatever they choose. So sometimes it's like, I don't know if I should stay or I should go. And whatever they choose isn't gonna be easy. And that's the unfortunate fallout from, from um, the abuse that they received. That's, that's the bag that partners are left holding and that's not their fault. And yet that's what, that's the reality. So letting the, like that you can choose what you want. There's nobody that can tell you what's a good idea for you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean that you're failing. It's just, this is your life, your choices. So if it's too much for you to consider working through this with your partner, fine, let's help you untangle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, it's, if you want to try, okay, let's start working on how to set boundaries, how to not internalize this behavior. It's okay to have expectations of your partner. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, this doesn't feel good to me. And if they try to do these things, you know, one, one of my clients told me, you know, when I said this to my husband, he's like, well, now I'm not going to touch you. You know, now, now I'm afraid to even like look at you. And no, that's his work to do with therapy. If me saying no is a problem, then it, it makes you scared to touch me. Then I think you need to talk to somebody about that. Right. And holding that, that boundary of, oh, I, it's not me having, asking too much. It's, that's his work to do and not filling in that gap for them. Right. Letting them, that's because that's, that's what save them too, right? There, there's, you know, a big you know, the, the um, victims of, say, narcissistic abuse or, or an abusive person, um, they tend to have this people-pleasing, I can fix it, codependent, happy place, let's make it better. Um, but is this something they can handle by themselves? I, no, I mean, no, not at all. <laughs> hey, I don't think so, but... They need support too, lots of support. There's co-SLAA, so addicts get a lot, a lot of play, you know, with AA and all the other kinds of A's out okay. there. Addicts uh, and partners also have, there's co-SLAA for partners too. So that's a free resource that you can go to. And they're all online now, thankfully, so they're accessible, um, which is so, that's the positive side of this quarantine is accessibility, right? Oh, yeah resources of course being on a screen with like lots of other people and everyone's talking about sex that would be kind of weird i think but <laughs> yeah, they're also speaking your story too so it's kind of refreshing in that way you don't have to participate you can be just a fly on the wall just a 
education and it's the right fit for me. Um, so I think, some, you know, again, sometimes these perfectionistic parts of us that get activated go, well, is, it, is this right for me? Just try it. If it's not right, you'll know. You'll know. Trust your instinct, you'll know, and just, just, you don't have to go back. But you can try it and check it out. So that is something, again, working with a specialist that either works with these personality disorders or, or some of the sex, sexual addiction component. Mm -hmm. Holding part, holding addicts accountable. If you're going to stay, you can be a part of their treatment. You can have contact with their therapist if you get a release and it's all on, everyone consents to it. But that's important too, knowing that I can, you know, hey, your therapist needs to know that you were raging at me the other night when I asked you to do the dishes. And, and I'm not going to go into why, and you need to talk to him or her about that. You know, so it's that kind of a thing where you can ask questions, you can be present um, and hold yourself. Untangling that internalized process, mm -hmm. potentially family of origin work too for you as to what, why you made yourself small, what happened, what was present, what feels familiar in that. Those are all, all ways to the long-term process. The disclosure I wanna also offer for partners you also do have the opportunity to tell the addict, if you do a disclosure, your impact. Mm -hmm. So you get to do and have them sit and listen to all the ways that they hear. Yeah. I yeah. wish we had that for narcissistic abuse because <laughs> everyone's like, I want closure, I want closure. And they're like, well, don't expect that. You know, it's, it's a different animal and, and they're not gonna, they're not gonna mean it if they actually, listen. So um, there's usually not that closure that um, I know that this can help them be partners with. Yeah, it has to be the right timing. I mean, there's, of course, all this is timing. The addict has to be in the right place in mind to hear that. Right. I'm not going to take that and hurt you with it. Um, there's a lot of consents that have to happen ahead of time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Polygraphs. I want to also offer this too. I know I'm talking a lot right now, but there's so much that I want to give partners because I feel like they don't know what they they can, they can, what their rights are and what's available. And, you know, sometimes if appropriate, if you're really thinking you didn't get everything in the disclosure, that there's still more information, you can also ask for a polygraph and say, hey, I want to make sure that, because, I mean, it's a health and safety issue. If your partner is having sex with somebody mm -hmm. outside of your marriage and you're not knowing, that's putting you in tremendous risk. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, where does someone get a polygraph? I mean, I, I only envision police stations, and I'm not even sure that that's might be the movies. Um, where does someone do that, or is that coordinated through um, a counselor like yourself? Yeah, it's through therapy. A lot, a lot of sex and a love addict um, therapists, some people that work with sex addictions, know um, a couple of photographers or have contacts with them. Um, again, it's not every case. It's not something some people are. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. You know, this is. It matches all the data matches of where things are going, and then other times it's like, no, he's still. I don't think he, he or she was honest about this. Um, and so yeah, that's okay. Let's is and they also have to consent. The addict has to consent to it. Exactly. But that's for more data if they're not willing to, right? And then we work with that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, hello, knock knock. Where <laughs> <laughs> you can see that red flag? Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, this has been so helpful, Amy. Thank you so much for, for spending your time with me here so that we can educate people about um, sex addicts and um, what to do if you are suspecting your partner is 
um, doing this and keeping secrets, um, or even if you're aware of it and you're just going, what do I do? Is there help? So thank you for giving us all those answers because um, I want to know. So thanks. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. You're welcome. I hope you guys found that interesting. Amy is a wealth of information. If you are struggling with someone that you think is a sex addict, please find the right kind of counselor and get help. If you are dealing with a narcissist and need help with that, you can reach me and I can coach you from my website, NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. We have lots of resources and help for you. So visit the website and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.